Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the Budget Minded Traveler podcast, episode 32. Welcome to the Budget Minded Traveler podcast, your source for the tips and tactics that will inspire and equip you to travel the world. And the best part, it won't break your bank. And now, the Budget Minded Traveler herself and your host, Jackie LaLainen. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. This is the Budget Minded Traveler podcast and this is episode 32 and we have something very special in store for you in this episode today. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. My guest today's name is Tim Leffel and I actually met him uh, recently on my trip to the Balkans. I met him at a conference in Greece where he actually spoke, but he is an award-winning blogger and author. He's a travel writer, editor. He has written several books and has a very popular top-ranked blog. And I highly recommend you guys check him out anyway because he has incredible information for the budget-minded traveler. He focuses on basically the world's cheapest destinations, which is also the title of one of his books. But that's why I'm so excited to share what he knows with you guys today, because it's such good quality stuff for us specifically who are looking to travel on a budget. And he talks not only about traveling, um, you know, you can travel short term or long term with the information that he provides. But also if you're looking to move overseas, or if you've thought about it, um, he talks a lot about that and gives some really good uh, resources basically for anyone kind of planning that. So like I said, we're going to be talking at the end about a special giveaway. So make sure you listen to the end. Otherwise, you won't know what to do. And um, you're gonna have a week to enter to win. So be sure and stay tuned for that. And for now, we'll go ahead and get into the interview with Tim Leffel. Hey, Tim, welcome to the show. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks so much for being here. Um, when we met in Athens, actually, I, I thought, man, this guy is just a traveler after my own heart because of the titles of the books that you spouted out that you're the author of. I'm like, okay, I need to have this guy on my podcast. So I'm, I'm really uh, grateful that you are here to share with us today. And um, yeah, I, I always... Think we were uh, we were an obvious match. So yeah. It's yeah. good that I could get on. Yeah. And uh, I always like to ask my my guests, where in the world are you today? I am in Guanajuato, Mexico, which is where I live currently with my family. And it's a beautiful sunny day. It's probably going to be in the mid 70s today, but we're in the highlands uh, okay. at 6,000 feet. So it's kind of like that almost all year. Like it gets a little warmer sometimes, a little rainier other times, but it's pretty nice weather all year. Yeah. So are you in a house that you are that you own currently? This time, yes. The first time we moved here for a year, we just rented a place. And uh, I strongly advise people to do that when they are going abroad somewhere because, you know, there are shows like House Hunters International that give you this crazy idea that you can just, you know, 
pole vault into a place and look at three houses and buy something and that's a great decision but it's usually a very bad decision so i think you need to stay somewhere a while and get the lay of the land first and figure out what prices are really like so after we did that um we ended up buying a place here because it was just kind of a good too good of a deal to pass up and so now yeah we're in a house that we own and um we'll rent it out when we're not here that's awesome so you found a place that works for you that's that's funny because you're actually the second person to give that exact same advice on this podcast. I had um, Taylor White from International Real Estate Listings. He does the Overseas Property Insider podcast. And he said yeah. I, it was so surprising to me because he's like, you know, the international real estate guru. And then he says, don't buy. Like that was his number one rule. He said, go rent somewhere. <laughs> so apparently you did it right. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and how is it that you, I mean, I know that you kind of write about living overseas. So I'm just kind of intrigued. Your family is there and you said currently, how long have you been there this time around? Uh, this time around, almost a year and a half, and we're basically staying for two, and then we're going to go back to the U.S. for a while um, so my daughter can finish high school. If I didn't have that part in the mix, we would just stay here indefinitely probably, but um, for her future, if she's going to go into uh-huh. college, it's going to be a lot better for her to finish up in the U.S., um, not that I'm looking forward to going back there and paying normal prices again, but yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, you got to do it sometimes. But um, And then in the past, before I had a child, I traveled around the world for three years and I taught English um, with my wife uh, in Turkey and South Korea. And so that kind of got me the uh, expatriate bug, I mm-hmm. guess. And so I had to put that on hold a while because we had a kid, but um, that was always in the back of our minds to go live abroad again. And um, you know, we wanted to stay a little closer though this time, uh, because we've got, you know, aging parents and all that. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's why we, well, we love Mexico as a culture and the food and all that, but it's Mm -hmm. also very easy and convenient to live here in terms of flights back home. Right. How many times have you lived abroad with your daughter? Uh, I've traveled a lot with her, but um, we've just lived here in Mexico twice. So that's it um, as far as living abroad. Otherwise, she grew up in Nashville, Tennessee, and then Mm -hmm. we lived in Tampa, Florida. Um, So she's uh, been in the U.S. otherwise. But I've taken her. I got her first passport when she was three, and Mm -hmm. we've taken her to a lot of different places over the years. I think that's so awesome. Does she speak Spanish? Yeah, she's really fluent. She's uh, When she's with her friends, she's talking a million miles an hour and sounds like right. a Mexican, which is kind of funny for me. She's getting in trouble <laughs> a lot for uh, talking too much in class. So I guess that's a sign that she's truly fluent because no the school is spinning. That's so great. I think that's such a great like gift that you can give to your daughter, exposure to you know the world and living overseas. It's so awesome, especially at such a young age. So. That's so great. Yeah, good I think for you it'll, guys. It'll be good for her no matter what kind of career she goes into. Being bilingual will be a, a big plus. Absolutely. Absolutely. And hopefully she doesn't stop there. I mean, if she has an aptitude for language, she can keep going. And that's, it opens so many doors. So definitely. Yeah, well, you're, um, you know, you're a lot younger than me, but uh, we're looking at college costs and going, holy crap, let's try to get her to study abroad. Yeah. Everyone thinks it's so expensive, but honestly, studying abroad can be cheaper. Um, so yeah, it's so great that I hope she wants to do that. I'm such a, I'm such a believer in study abroad. So yeah, me too. I never did it, but then uh, I wish I had, you know, now that I'm, uh, looking back. Yeah. You know, it just is an opportunity to start a little bit earlier, I guess, without, you know, breaking the chains of the system quite yet. 
because you can still have that structure and you know but I mean even if you travel I think it's a great thing afterwards just give it a chance you know which you did so but anyway so the reason that you are really here is because you have these amazing books that I really can't wait to talk about the titles alone will just captivate me. The first one, The World's Cheapest Destinations, which is currently in its fourth edition. So when did you originally publish that? Uh, The very first one I put out at the end of 2002. So ages ago, I started my blog in 2003, um, just because I wanted to publicize the book. And that was really the only reason. Um, Blogging was a very new thing back then. And um, AdSense hadn't even come along. So there wasn't really any way to make money from it. So I Mm -hmm. was just putting it out there as a way for readers and journalists to find me. But um, I put out that book because I had been backpacking around the world three times and um, there was no really good resource out there to to help you compare budgets across countries. You know, like you could Mm -hmm. get a guidebook for a specific country or find lots of articles about a specific place, but it was hard to find out which places were really the best value. And so I kind of wrote the book that I wish I had been able to buy, figuring figuring I can't be the only one that's wondering about this. And so um, it's, uh, you know, evolved a little bit over each edition and fewer typos too, I think. Um, (laughs) But but, um, the idea is there's been 21 countries each time and then a few honorable mentions thrown in there. So sometimes a country, one country will fall out and another one will fall in. And so there's been a little bit of change here and there. But uh, it's the same basic format. And just the general idea is you pick this up before you are going to set off around the world being a long-term traveler and this will help you figure out how to stretch your budget if you're not a trust fund kid and you need to you know get by on 20 or 30 dollars a day or whatever right which I really think that most of my audience is interested in so what about each of these countries do you share and, and maybe what are some of the countries that are listed what can you tell us about the book Sure. Well, people usually ask me uh, which which one is the very cheapest because they want to make a beeline to there. But yeah. <laughs> that can change a little over the years, too, and, and also according to exchange rates. But it's usually Nepal and India are usually battling it out for the cheapest. And Indonesia is usually um, quite a good deal, too, if you get away from, you know, the most popular tourist areas. But, you know, all of those have some caveats. I mean, you can spend a fortune in India if you really want, staying at palace hotels and taking the luxury train and all that. But yeah. if you're just traveling like a normal person, a backpacker, it's quite cheap there. So, um, you know, those are kind of at the low end. And then I have a lot of other places that are maybe not super cheap, but they're really good value. Um, for instance, places in Eastern Europe, like, you know, Hungary and mm-hmm. um, Bulgaria and Romania. I mean, they're not as they're not going to be dirt cheap, but they're still for Europe. They're oh, really yeah. a great value. And mm-hmm. so you can really get a lot for your money in those places. And then there's a whole lot in Latin America, too. I mean, places like Peru have gotten more expensive over the years because there are tons of tourists there, but if you kind of, you know, get a little bit off of the main drag, then you can still travel quite cheaply there. I mean, it's going to cost you to go to Machu Picchu no matter what, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the yeah. rest of the time you can uh, get by on a very reasonable budget. Right. So what are the things that you look at? Is it, I mean, obviously transportation within the country, because you've mentioned that, and accommodations and food. I mean, what are some of the tips that you give people to find these things? Yeah, those are basically it. I I try to lay out the, you know, the big expenses that you're going to encounter day after day after day. And so, you know, it's usually lodging, food, admissions and um, transportation. 
And the transportation can vary a lot depending on how fast you're moving. I always advise people to, you know, not try to be ticking off 40 things in one year. You know, I've met people that are trying to go to every single continent in one year. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, you're going to spend half your time in buses and trains and planes. You know, that's Mm -hmm. no fun. It's not travel. Maybe they love it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just, uh, but you know, you're going to spend twice as much that way too, because every day you're spending more money on some kind of ticket. Whereas if you go somewhere for a week and then move on to another place for a week, you know, it's a lot, lot easier on your budget, especially if you go to a beach and hang out for a while. So, um, you know, but those are the big expenses. And so I try to lay out specifically what those things are going to cost you on average. And, um, I, I have a, I'm, it's not just for backpackers. I also kind of talk about what it's going to be for a mid-range traveler. So, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of people that are that are on a budget, but they're not on a shoestring budget. You know, they're traveling uh-huh. around the world for a year, but they're not trying to get by on $20 a day. And so yeah. um, they're willing to spend a little more on a, bit, a nicer hotel or, a, you know, better meal now and then and that kind of thing. So I also try to put some information on there and you know what it's going to cost you if you're kind of a mid-range traveler. That's awesome. And I appreciate that because, you know, I mean, there was definitely a time that I was super shoestring, but it actually gets easier. Like if you have a travel buddy or a spouse or even a group of friends that you're with, because a lot of things can get cheaper and you can find that you can afford more as you split things. And so the, the whole thing kind of changes as you, I guess, go through different phases of your life. And I mean, I definitely am over like the days of staying in at least hostel dorms. You know, I realize those are the cheapest usually, but I'd rather get a private room and still be at a hostel where you can still get the, you know, the whole um, atmosphere and the tours, et cetera. But maybe you're not on the complete shoestring or sleeping in the hammock outside or, you know, yeah. um, and I think and it, a lot of people might be afraid to take that shoestring step. And so I think that's great that you cover kind of that mid range budget as well. Yeah, and a lot of that depends on where you are as well. I mean, if you're traveling through Europe, it's hard to do it on a budget without being in hostels, at least now and then. But mm-hmm. in, in Latin America or Southeast Asia, you can almost avoid that altogether, even if you're on a, a low budget, because it's more guest houses and you know cheap hotels than it is hostels. So um, that's one advantage of going to Southeast Asia first. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh my gosh. Budget. But yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you know, and I travel with my family a lot now and we're going for the, you know, the 40 or $50 a night hotel in um, Southeast Asia, not the uh, $10 hovel. And so I, you mm-hmm. move on after a while if you get a little more money, but you still, you know, want to be careful with your money and not stay at the, uh, the Marriott every night. Definitely. I mean, because the experience isn't going to be in your hotel. It's going to be in the activities and the food and, you know, the sites and stuff. And so I think as long as it's a comfortable and safe place to stay, then you don't need to be spending too much money on it. I mean, unless you have a, an affinity for hotels, <laughs> but yeah. I think then you're also going to have a different budget. So, and, and it is important to kind of do a self-assessment and realize what your priorities are. You know, some people oh, yeah. are or foodies and they're very um, concerned about where their dinner is going to be and other people, <laughs> it's just fuel, you know, they don't really care <laughs> yeah. so much and they, they're perfectly fine eating at whatever street stalls out in front of their hotel. Right. Um, and other people want to go to museums every day and others, that's the last place they want to go. So, um, yeah. and if you love adventure activities, then factor those into your budget. You know, you have to have an idea of what's going to get you excited and what you couldn't care less about. Exactly. We actually went on our honeymoon to Southeast Asia, which I would highly recommend because you can live like 
a king, you know, relatively speaking, on a really great budget and things like like I am a foodie, you know, and so I'm always thinking about the next meal. Food was really important. And in Thailand, especially like you can get an amazing meal for five bucks, you know, and you don't really have to worry about it. So. I mean, yeah, but, you get but really definitely, spoiled there. yeah, no <laughs> kidding. Too. I mean, we did like a kayak tour also, and it was eight dollars, I think, which is so cheap because we're we're very like adventurous. We're kind of fast travelers, you know. Like we love to just go and go and go, and that gets expensive because we want to do so many things. But we also make sure that we have the budget for that because that's one of our priorities. So, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so, do you give specifics about? places to eat and stay. I mean, that's kind of getting more guidebooky, but do you do that about where you've been? No, because I want this to be kind of an evergreen book okay. uh, where people can still use it, you know, two years after it's come out. So I try to avoid any of that perishable info. And, and I do, you know, spell it out in the beginning that exchange rates change a lot, you know, sometimes from week to week. And so you kind of have to take any price you see anywhere with a grain of salt because it's going to change over time. And, of course. And, and right now actually is a great time to be traveling on the U.S. dollar because it's it's pretty strong right now across the board, you know, almost mm-hmm. anywhere you go in the world. Whereas there will be other times, you know, two or three years ago, it was a different story. And oh, so yeah. you have to um, understand, you know, that you may not be there at the optimal time. <laughs> right, right. So just real quick, can you list off some of the, you said there were 21 and you mentioned Nepal, India, Indonesia, Bulgaria, Hungary, some of these places. Can you mention some of the other ones um, specifically just to put them out there? Sure. Well, they kind of go in clusters. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we've been talking about Southeast Asia. There's a whole cluster of them there that you can get to overland. You only have to get on a plane, that, which makes it very reasonable also. Um, and then there's a whole cluster you know, a lot of Central America is pretty cheap. Um, not all of it, but, you know, a lot of it is. And then if you go down to Colombia, you know, and go south from there, Ecuador and Peru and Bolivia are very cheap and they're all right next to each other. And so, you know, there, there are clusters like that you can get by pretty reasonably. And, and actually right now, Argentina is pretty cheap again. I didn't have it in the last edition, but um, mm. economic conditions there have deteriorated Mm. quite Mm. a bit. And so it's gotten a lot cheaper if you come in with dollars or euros. Um, And then, uh, you know, it's kind of dicey right now, unfortunately, but there, there has traditionally been this cluster in um, North Africa and the Middle East where you could go to Morocco and then over to Egypt and Jordan. And, um, you know, people even used to go to Syria, which is obviously um, (laughs) not going to happen right now. Um, And then, uh, you know, that cluster in Eastern Europe with, um, you know, the Czech Republic and Romania and Bulgaria. And I know you went to some areas that I have not been to yet, um, Albania and Macedonia and that area. I need to uh, get there at some point and do some on the ground research. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Macedonia was amazing. I really liked it the best out of all the Balkans. But when you said, and it's very similar in in price to Bulgaria and what you mentioned about Bulgaria was just so spot on. I mean, this is Europe. You know, when we were in Greece, that's where I met you. We went back into Bulgaria afterwards and it was just like a sigh of relief, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're back in Bulgaria. You know, we, we ordered uh, cappuccinos and they were less than a euro. Yes. You know, like finally back and... Um, I yeah, mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. really nice there and it's good yeah. food too. I mean, I was really impressed with, um, you know, how fresh everything was and, you know, straight off the farm and all mm-hmm. of that. 
Yeah, overlooked and I think underrated, but I, I really liked that area. But so it sounds like this book would be perfect for someone looking to do an inexpensive, even around the world trip, because they can move to different clusters and kind of follow your advice uh, for which countries to hit up or someone who maybe wants to spend a couple months or, or three in one specific area moving around and not spending too much money. It sounds like your book is kind of a, a wealth of information for the longer term, right? Yeah. And I try to give people kind of a sense of what the country's like, why you would go there, you mm -hmm. know, and just kind of a general quick overview sense. And, um, you know, sometimes it's a matter of you know, maybe you haven't even thought of a place, but once you read about it, you go, okay, that sounds like it could work for me. <laughs> but oh, definitely. I would like it there. And so I'm just trying to kind of open people's eyes up. And then if they do want more info, they can, you know, go find it in a guidebook or go, you know, do all their online research or whatever. Yep. But at least they'll know um, in general what it's going to cost them and whether that's in their budget or not. Right, which is so important in in planning where you're going to go. I mean, especially because so many people, if you just tell them about a place, they're going to add it to their bucket list. I think we're all kind of guilty of that. Oh, I want to go there too. You know what I mean? I haven't been everywhere, but it's on my list, you know? And so yeah. just being aware of some of these places, um, I'm sure is, is a major part of it. And then it, just like you said, you can go and finish your research, but well, awesome. I really want to talk about the second book too. So let's get on to that one. This one is changing gears a little bit. Um, a better life for half the price. How to prosper on less money in the cheapest places to live. So this one's geared more towards the expat living kind of thing, right? Actually moving overseas. Yes. And um, I said the first book, I, I wrote the book that I always wanted to buy. And um, mm -hmm. in this case, this was more of a matter of listening to my audience. Um, I have a pretty popular blog called the cheapest destinations blog. And every year I do a post on there about the cheapest places to live in the world, you know, mm -hmm. rather than travel, if you're actually going to go live somewhere and it changes a little bit from year to year just because of, um, you know, political situations and exchange rates and whatever. But, um, invariably that's my most popular post, like by a huge margin. I mean, mm -hmm. some, some months it's like more than the next nine or 10 posts added together in terms of traffic. And so, um, wow. I, I was completely, you know, kind of ignoring that for a while. And then I finally realized, you know, I should take a hint on this and, um, you know, there's probably a book here that people would buy. And so, um, oh, yeah. I, I, uh, put that out, uh, earlier this, earlier this year as an ebook and then it's going to be a paperback, um, hopefully by the end of this month, but if not the first week of January, probably, um, available on Amazon. And, um, I, um, you know, sort of put this out to kind of open people's eyes, you know, there, first of all, it's a lot easier than it used to be to go live abroad from a financial standpoint, because a lot more people are making their money with a laptop job, you know, they're, they're able to be location independent, and they can run a business from abroad, or they can, you know, work as a freelancer abroad or whatever. Um, whereas even 10 years ago, that was really hard to do. Mm -hmm. And um, before the internet, it was impossible. <laughs> so um, now it's much easier to just pick up and go and set up somewhere else and be, you know, on the ground running a couple of days after you get there. And so um, that part has changed and made it much easier. And then I think people, Americans especially, have gotten more uh, open to this idea. And uh, supposedly there are a, a million plus Americans, um, you know, living just in Latin America these days. And so I think um, 
there are a lot more people open to that now than there used to be. Um, you know, maybe Australians and Kiwis have been doing this for a long time and a lot of Brits, but, um, I think with economic conditions being as they are in the U S and healthcare getting ridiculously expensive every year, more expensive every year and things like that. Um, I think a lot of people are looking at, uh, out of the box alternatives and this is certainly a big one. Yeah. So how, how much do you think, I mean, you've lived in Mexico a couple of times and you, you mentioned, uh, some of the places in, in Asia where you lived teaching English, uh, before you had your daughter, but what do you think is the average, like, does it really cut your expenses in half? Do you think comparing your lifestyle in Mexico to what you're going to be expecting next year when you go back to the States? Yeah, easily. We live, we live for less than half here than we did in Tampa, Florida in the U.S., um, partly because we were in a good school district there. So we were paying, you know, higher school. <laughs> it's kind of silly. There's there's this one street that splits the school district where we live. And if you're on one side of the street, it's a third less than the other side just because it's a different high school. What? <laughs> so it's like that in a lot, of, a lot of cities, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, yeah, we were we are basically spending um, the same amount here that we spent just on rent and utilities in the U.S. And so wow. we're definitely living for less than half. And a lot of that... Um, you know, every country I've gotten this book, that's the criteria, basically, that you can live um, in one of these countries for half what you would spend in the U.S., just on average. And if you're in San Francisco or New York, you can live pretty much anywhere in the world except maybe, you know, Scandinavia or Japan or somewhere right. for, for less than half. Or if you live in London, you can move almost anywhere. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's I mean, you, there's a little bit of a sense of um, fairness, I have to point out where, you know, it's kind of, you need to be moving to an equivalent kind of place. So if you live, you know, in Chicago and you move to Buenos Aires, you're definitely going to live for less than half um, of what you're spending now. But if you live in, you know, the middle of Kansas somewhere or um, even Bozeman, Montana, and you move to Buenos Aires, it might not be as easy to, you know, get by on exactly half, but you probably can come pretty close. I, but I interviewed a couple people that had moved to Argentina from um, New York City and they were living for a third, you know, oh, wow, and, yeah. and having a lot more space <laughs> for their money. And so, um, and you know, what I was able to do with this book, which I couldn't do um, with the travel one is, is point out some places where maybe it's not super cheap to travel, but it's quite reasonable to live. And Portugal's in there for instance. And, um, <gasps> mm-hmm. you know, that would be, um, it's not necessarily a half price place to travel but it's pretty cheap there and um it's it's quite reasonable for western europe but um to live there it's definitely uh a half price living kind of place and there are you know other places like that that um around the world where i mean even if you move to rural france it can be pretty reasonable if you do it right but if you move to a country where the labor costs are much lower than where you live now you're almost sure to um lower your expenses drastically so I wonder how long are you speaking, like moving there for, I mean, cause I'm thinking, what if I went to Portugal for like a month? Would that be, would that be cheap for me or would that still be expensive? You know, like how long are you saying to get that trigger point where then it's going to be cheaper? Yeah, I don't think it matters. You could go for a month or you could go for five years and it's still going to be less. I mean, after you've lived somewhere for a while, you're going to 
probably spend less just because you figure out, you know, right. You, you just figure out how to work the system and you figure out where the cheapest things are to buy. Cheapest places are to buy things. But still, I mean, I've had a bunch of people, a bunch of friends that have come through where I live here in Guanajuato and have just stayed for two or three months and then moved on. And, um, I actually did a, a couple videos, um, a week or two ago where I had gone to people's places and filmed where they were renting. And most of them were around $500 a month for like a two or three bedroom house. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they were, they were doing that for two or three months. They weren't doing it for years at a time. Right. And, um, but you know, you can negotiate a better deal if you are going to stay for a year, but still it's pretty easy to find a short term rental. Most places around the world, um, you just have to, you know, do a little more digging. You can't just go on the vacation rental places and pay the list price of what they have and expect to, you know, get a super cheap deal. But you can usually negotiate those rates down if you're going to stay for a while. Okay. And so, then there's Craigslist, there's local mm -hmm. sources, you know. Yeah. Do you take into consideration people's bills at home when you come up with these, I guess, amounts? Well, not if they're still keeping their house. Yeah. That kind of right. throws a wrench into it. So, um, yeah, so when I'm when I'm back living in the U.S. and paying rent, if I come back down here to Guanajuato for a month or two, I'm still going to have to be <laughs> paying that rent back home, which is no fun, unless you can sublet it or something. So, right. yeah, that makes it more difficult. You kind of have to cut the cord with home. But okay. um, but when you're talking a month or two at a time, there are a lot of digital nomads out there who are you know roaming around the earth and living for somewhere for two or three months and then moving on, oh, and yeah. that actually makes your life a lot more easy in terms of visas because then you don't have to deal with long-term residency. Right. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was going to be my next question. Um, do you cover that in your book? Because I mean, for example, how have you been in Mexico for the last year and a half? I mean, I guess you own property there. So maybe that helps. I mean, how, no, how do you do it? That didn't really help much, but um, there are two ways you can do it. Mexico is actually one of the most generous countries in the world in terms of a tourist fee. They give you 180 days just for the asking when you come in. So there are a lot of snowbirds who live in Mexico, that um, Canadians especially, that come down here for like almost six months and then go back to their home country. And they just do that year after year okay. you know, constantly. And they never get residency. They just come in on a tourist visa, stay till the end, and then go back home. And then actually, um, when we rented here the first time, that's what we did. We left in the middle and took a vacation to Costa Rica and oh, came yeah. back. And, you know, that was a year. So we were good. But this time we did get legal. And um, that requires going to the embassy or consulate in the U.S. beforehand and showing them that you have enough income to support yourself. And that's the main thing they're concerned about. And then once you get past that hurdle, then you once you get to Mexico, you have to... Um, you know, visit the right office here and pay some money and give them your fingerprints and come back three times and all that stuff. But yeah. um, that's pretty much true. No matter where you go, you're going to have to go through a lot of bureaucracy and be patient and pay some money. But, you know, some places are easier than others. So I do describe um, in each country chapter of that book what you, ha what you have to look forward to in terms of uh, getting residency. Oh, and there's good. some and there's some places where it's next to impossible. Like you really can't get it at all in India or Nepal, for instance. And so most people just live there for six months and then they'll leave for two or three months and then they come back and start the process over again. But you can't stay nonstop indefinitely unless you um, overstay your visa and then pay a penalty at the end. Yeah. Um, you know, that's funny because 
even when I was studying abroad in Costa Rica, um, Costa Rica gives a three month visa and then require, well, at least in 2003, this was the deal. Um, I don't want to say anything wrong, but in 2003, you had to leave for 72 hours, you know, which is like three days or something. And, um, and then you could come back in and renew your three month visa again. And when we were students there, they, the program had us go through this process of like applying for the student visa. And for whatever reason, I never even got mine, you know, like we call it Tico time in Costa Rica. It's just kind of laid right. back there and, you know, it just didn't happen. And, um, what's funny about it is that we took as a group, um, we took group trips once in the fall semester and once in the spring semester to, Nicaragua and Panama for three days each. And that covered the issue. Like it was only going to be an issue for those of us staying for a year. And we all ended up, you know, going home for Christmas in the middle because it's pretty easy in Latin America. And then we took these trips. And so even living there as a student and going to school, I didn't even have a, I was still on a tourist visa, which is kind of, just kind of makes me laugh. (laughs) But there are so many ways to do it is I guess the point is to kind of work the loopholes, you know, Right. And a lot of countries like that that aren't very big, it's really easy to just hop the border. And I interviewed a few people in Nicaragua that haven't gone through the process of getting residency because um, you you don't even have to be out for 72 hours. You can be out for an hour if you live in Nicaragua. So you can go down to Costa Rica or go to another neighboring country. And what they do is go shopping at the duty-free liquor store and come back, you know, with five <laughs> bottles of booze and, and that's their trip, you know? So yeah, <laughs> that's, that's they do that every three months and you know, it's their liquor shopping trip basically. <laughs> so, that is so awesome. Not a big deal. But mm-hmm. there are other countries where it's super easy, like uh, Cambodia, for instance, if you pay, it's like $240 or something to get a business visa instead of a tourist visa, it's good for a year. And so oh my you, gosh. you just go once a year and pay wow. your 240 and you're set. And so that wow. can, you know, it can make a big difference in where you decide to go in terms of how easy the residency is. I mean, Thailand's a pain in the ass. Indonesia's a real pain. Sorry if this is supposed to be kid fan. Nope, friendly. it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Cambodia is super easy. And um, and so, you know, that can be an advantage to, uh, especially if you don't have a lot of income to prove, you know. Um, Mexico requires $2,500 per person and then like 500 per dependent. And that's a pretty high hurdle for a lot of people to meet, but Nicaragua only requires 600 a month. So you know, that's wow. a huge difference. I think Panama is a thousand. And so, you know, you got to be pretty, pretty bad off if you're not making at least a thousand dollars a month. You exactly. Know? So, right. And so you cover, you go over these things in your book, right? Yes. Oh, I am so then, glad you wrote this book. You are so right. <laughs> And then I have some resources at the end to go to for more info. I mean, you've got to double check everything because the rules right. are changing. But yeah. I always tell people the best resource is to go find a local message board, you know, for where you're mm-hmm. planning to live because okay. those people usually know the ins and outs. They've just been to the immigration office two weeks ago, so they know right. what the scoop is. So, and I have one last question before we get to the, the good news here, but what about making money once you're overseas? Do you actually try and find work? I mean, what do you and your wife do? Well, I actually am one of those people that has the enviable laptop job that I can do from anywhere. And I would advise if there's any way for you to get yourself into that kind of position, that's definitely the best option because then you're earning first world currency and spending it in the developing world. So you've got arbitrage in your favor. And so, um, 
my job doesn't really change between when I'm living here and when I'm living in the United States. Um, basically I run a series of niche websites. I've got one that's about practical, uh, one called practical travel gear. I've got one that's on hotels. I've got one that's a narrative travel publication and then my blog. And so most of my income comes from those. And then I have book sales and that kind of thing. And I do some freelance writing Mm -hmm. and none of that requires me to be in a specific place really. And so I, you know, I need to make some phone calls now and then. So it's better for me to be in this part of the world than to be um, over in Asia somewhere because I do have to talk people, talk to people on the phone sometimes and, yeah, right. you know, got business to do. And so that's something to keep in mind when you're thinking about where to live. But, um, you know, that's the best, best of all possible worlds because you've got so much leverage in your favor. But, you know, there are options like uh, I taught English twice and that was a great way to make money abroad. And uh, when I lived in Korea for more than a year and we actually traveled all around the country while we were there. And that was a great experience to actually, you know, see every corner of Korea mm-hmm. while we were there. And I traveled a lot in Turkey when I lived there as a teacher. And so, um, I know you've talked about this before. It's great to have a springboard, you know, where you Mm -hmm. can have a base and you're working and then you can take off to other places when you have a break. And um, so, you know, teaching English is a great option because you can actually make pretty good money doing that in in some parts of the world. Not so much in Latin America, unfortunately, unless you're at a university. But I do have friends here working at the university in Guanajuato and they're making, you know, not they're not getting rich by any means, but they're making enough to get by. And um you know, there are dive instructors, there are, um, you know, tour leaders, real estate salesmen, there are all kinds of jobs like that you can do abroad. But um, the further down you get on the qualification scale, the worse of an idea that is, because if you're competing with locals, then you're going to make local wages and they're usually not very good. That's why the place is less expensive, you know, because the price of labor is a lot lower. Right. So, um, you know, it's, it's, you're going to be much better off if you have some kind of skill that you can transfer to an online job rather than trying to find a local job. That's good advice. And I think if, because that's a little bit more non-traditional, you know, the online jobs, I think that scares a lot of people or they're not sure how to go about it. But if you, if you can't do that, don't forget about, you know, Craigslist and most, a lot of countries have their own kind of version of Craigslist, you know, where local things are posted. And it is, I mean, I've done it before. I've had a few jobs just bartending and we worked at a um, pub crawl once in Rome. (laughs) You know, I mean, there are random things that you can do. So all hope is not lost and in trying to make money overseas. And I mean, we've talked about that a lot on this podcast too. So there are lots of resources there, but. And some things are transferable. I mean, my wife is a personal trainer actually, and she has a lot of clients here. And Uh so she was able to just um, get the word out after she got here and get going pretty quickly. And um, so if you're a massage therapist, you know, or an acupuncturist or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got something like that, you can take with you, then um, you can, you might not make the same amount as you would in your home country, but you can still charge more probably than, um, you know, you can still charge a decent amount if you have a skill. And so um, keep that in mind too. Yeah, that's, that's great. So this book sounds like it's for those who are they, is it for people who are already considering moving abroad? Or do you think that you're offering an opportunity for those who think there has to be a better way than this kind of thing? Yeah, it's a little of both. I mean, I have some chapters in there trying to point out why you should do this, why you should think about it. And I think there are some people that probably that haven't even thought about it before and they're just 
thinking that they're never going to get out of this financial morass they're in because um, they can't think of a way to make more money and mm-hmm. they feel like they've already cut back as much as they can. And my point is, you know, you can just change your address and, and have twice as much money to spend without having to cut back. You know, I, I don't cut back here. I actually, I say uh, cut loose instead of cutting back. Cut because, loose, yeah. Because <laughs> we go out way more here than we do at home and, nice. you know, enter, entertain more and go to the symphony and go to, you know, what that kind of stuff is all so much less expensive and we travel more within the country. Like every time we have a long weekend, we go somewhere because it's, mm-hmm. you know, so inexpensive here compared to um, going somewhere in Florida where we would live back in the U.S. And so um, you don't have to necessarily you – know, there, there are all these frugal tr- blogs out there, you know, uh, how to um, live for less, you know, and that's all well and good. But you reach a point where you can't cut anymore, you know. Yep. <laughs> so it's uh, – but it's a lot easier if you can just move and everything drops in half. And so you've got a lot more to save or a lot more to pay off your credit cards with or just to live on. So yeah, some I would imagine some people that pick it up are just kind of curious, but I think probably a lot of them are, they have thought about it and they just don't know where to start. You make it sound so enticing. <laughs> <laughs> I like the cut loose thing. Okay, so, well, this is where the good news comes in. Time for the big announcement. So if you've tuned out, tune back in because this is what you want to hear. Tim is being wonderful enough to be sponsoring, let's call it a Christmas giveaway, to one of you lucky listeners in the form of his books. And it's not just one book, but both, right, Tim? Are you going to be giving away one of each? I will give away one of each um, in ebook form, so I can just uh, send you a link to download it. Right. Um, Instead of a paperback, because that's more cumbersome, because then anybody from anywhere can win if it's electronic. But also, um, with the Better Life for Half the Price book, I actually have um, a higher level package that includes some extra goodies. And so that's the one I'm going to give away for that. It's called the Committed Package on the website. And you get access to a private Facebook group, and there's some conference calls now and then, and um, videos and um, audio interviews and some things like that. That is so awesome. So you're going to be giving away this committed package to one listener, correct? Yes. And then we'll give away a copy of the world's cheapest destinations to another one. Okay. So there'll be two actually, two winners. Yes. Woohoo. We'll do a grand prize and a second prize. (laughs) I like it. Sounds good. Um, So here's the important part. There are going to be two ways that you can enter to win. And we're going to have, it's going to be all about the show notes page. So you're going to have to go to the show notes page for this episode, which is going to be at thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 32. This is episode 32. And you can either post a comment there or there'll be a button to click to tweet, which is going to reach out to both Tim and I on Twitter as well. And we're going to give you one sentence to tell us where you want to go that's going to be a cheap destination, probably one of the ones in Tim's book, hopefully. But um, do you think we could do that, Tim? Yeah, that sounds good. Where would you want to go? Or uh, you could do where you want to live, either one. Yeah, where Um, you want to go. That's a cheap destination uh, that you can do a lot for your money on. Okay, awesome. And we'll... um, We'll pick the winners. It's it, it won't be random. We're gonna choose them. So think hard. <laughs> 
And uh, we'll choose two winners, one for the committed package and one for the ebook version of the world's cheapest destinations. So, and we'll announce that. Let's, do you want to give it a week, Tim, from the publishing of this, of this episode? Sounds good. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so I'll uh, make sure the dates are clear on that. So thank you so much for offering that. I think that's wonderful. And I think my readers or my listeners are going to be excited about that. So thank you so much. That's really nice of you. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on. And it was great meeting you in Athens, Greece. Yeah, wonderful. I know. And I, I, there, you mentioned so many things in this episode that I just feel like maybe we'll have to have to further this discussion someday. (laughs) So um, we'll definitely be in touch. But I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all this. And um, we'll look forward to giving away some books here soon. Okay, great. All right. Thanks. Oh, you know what? One last thing. What is your website? Where can people find you if uh, if they want to check you out? Sure. Uh, The book site is called cheaplivingabroad.com. And my uh, blog is cheapestdestinationsblog.com. Or if you just Google my name, there's not many Tim Leffels around. It's Tim, L-E-F-F-E-L. And that's what I am on Twitter too, Tim Leffel. So that's it. Just uh, Google my name and you can find me pretty easily. Perfect. And I'll have links to all of that on the show notes page as well for you guys. So, well, great. Thank you so much, Tim. We'll chat with you soon, okay? Sounds good. Thanks a lot. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Tim Leffel. And once again, I'm going to repeat the guidelines for the giveaway. So you can find them also on the show notes page. Make sure you check that out. Everything happens from the show notes page. So it's thebudgetmindedtraveler.com slash 32. And there you will see the instructions, but there are going to be two ways to enter you can either comment in the comment section on the, on the show notes page or you can click to tweet. So the button is there. It's ready to go. You're going to have to edit the tweet to, you know, so give us your sentence about where you want to go, etc. But that's all ready to go for you. You have one week starting right now and we are going to announce the winner or the two winners actually next Friday, December 26th. So it's gonna be the day after Christmas. So you're going to need to get your entries in by midnight on Christmas day. And we are going to announce the winner in the comments on the uh, show notes page, also on Twitter and also on the budget minded traveler Facebook page. So make sure you follow me there and go ahead and get your comments in to win. And thanks again for listening, you guys. I really appreciate you. I hope that everybody has an amazing Christmas wherever you are. Happy holidays, and we will chat with you soon. Thanks so much. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.